0: Open up so you can follow along and see what it is that Jesus is saying to us as he closes a sermon. That's what we're doing today. Jesus is closing a sermon that's been carried on throughout the entire chapter, and this is the end, the grand finale. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. We do thank you for your son. And like we just sang, we thank you for the Spirit. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, none of the work that Jesus purchased for us would ever be applied to us. It's through the Spirit that all that Christ has done counts for us. And as Jack just read, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so we dare not move forward in the power of the flesh. Oh, please, help us by the Spirit that life would happen here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You cannot believe. Unless the Holy Spirit brings your dead soul to life. You cannot come to Jesus. You can't believe unless the Father has granted it. That's the message that Jesus preaches in this passage. The text that Jack just read. And nobody wants to hear it. No one wants to hear it. He's the greatest preacher who ever lived. We said this last week, I think. He starts with a crowd of thousands clamoring for him to be king. Do you remember in chapter 6, verse 15, he feeds them, and they want him to be king. And so he preaches to them. And when he's done, there are 12 left. Maybe a few more. Who preaches like that? You know any preachers like that? Who would start with a crowd of thousands and whittle them down by preaching the truth in love. We can all think of preachers who could whittle a crowd down because they're terrible preachers. This is the greatest preacher who ever lived. And he preaches the truth in love. He doesn't preach like a salesman. Jesus is not trying to sell you anything. I mean, you've, I know that you've heard preachers before. You feel like, this guy's trying to sell me something. There's a crowd here. I'm sure he'd like it to be a little bit larger. And now he's selling something. That's not what Jesus does. He came to give you life. Real life everlasting life, and he wants your worship to be real. That's what he cares about more than the size of a crowd. He wants your particular, your own worship that goes on inside your soul. Jesus wants it to be real. That's why he preaches the way that he does. If your worship's going to be real, you have to know how desperately you need God so that you can know the extent that God has gone in saving you. That's Jesus, that's his agenda for the end of this sermon. That's his agenda for this text, to expose your neediness, not just humanity's general neediness, yours, your neediness, and then expose to you that God alone deserves all the praise for any spiritual life that you have. That's what Jesus is up to. The crowd would not accept being told that they were helpless and needy. They wouldn't accept it. They did not want to hear that God had to do everything for them for them to believe. And so they left. They walked away from the fountain of living waters. They walked away from the bread of life. I hope you won't. Knowing... The extent of your salvation is not icing on the cake. You know what I mean by that? Icing on the cake. Like you've got a cake, you can put icing on, make it a little sweeter, or not. Knowing the extent that God has gone to save you, that's icing on the cake. That's for people who like theology. No, it's fuel for worship. <laughs> that's why why, why, why would you close a sermon like this, Jesus? Because it's fuel for worship, and you were made for worship. And So that's why he tells us how needy we are, and the extent God has gone to save us from our own unbelief. So what we're going to do today, as we work through this passage, we're going to start with context. If you guys have been around for the last several weeks, this is review. Context, what's going on in chapter 6. And then we'll see Jesus point out how desperate our problem of unbelief is. And then he's going to make clear that our only hope in overcoming this unbelief is if God does it. That's the main point. God does it by the Spirit, through the words of Jesus, because the Father grants that we would come to him. That's the main thing. And then we'll close by seeing through Peter what real belief looks like. So here's the context. If you've been with us since the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds a crowd of 5000, at least 5000. It was 5000 men. We know from Matthew that there are women and children there. He does an amazing miracle. They see it. So they're not doubting that he did a miracle. They're not doubting that he took five loaves of bread, two fish and fed over 5000, maybe 10,000 people. They saw it. It was amazing. They want to make him king but he doesn't want to be that kind of king. It's not the kind of king he's come to be, so he withdraws. He crosses the Sea of Galilee, if you'll remember, on foot. The crowd's looking for him the next day. They're like, we want more bread. Where'd this guy go? We're going to make him king. He's going to feed us every day. They find him in Capernaum, across the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus preaches. He tells them that he's the bread of life. He's come down from heaven to give life to their dead souls. We saw last week that he says it's his sacrificial death that gives their souls life. They've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. They don't want to hear it. They believed he did the miracle, but they don't believe him. There's a difference. They believe the miracle, but they don't trust this guy. They're not listening to the words that are coming out of his mouth. That's their unbelief. And so Jesus points out their unbelief to them. That's the first thing we're going to see. Our desperate unbelief problem. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, just want to point out, it calls them disciples. So these people, these crowds are following him. not talking about Pharisees who want him dead. These are people who are like, yeah, he fed us food. We believe it. We want to make him king. These are disciples. When they heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This is not what we were looking for. You did something amazing over there. Do that kind of stuff again. Quit talking. Jesus knows what they're thinking. Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending, that means going back up to heaven, to where he was before? So in other words, he's saying, you're offended by me. You don't believe me. If you saw me go back up into heaven, then would you believe? Would that be enough? He's asking a rhetorical question. Do you know what a rhetorical question is? That was just a rhetorical question. (laughs) It's when you ask a question, you're not expecting someone to answer because you're going to answer it for them. That's what Jesus just did. He doesn't expect them to answer the question. He says, what if you saw me go back up into heaven? Then he answers, verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Not a little help, no help. So follow Jesus' thinking here. He knows this crowd saw the miracle. They saw it. They know that he did it. They don't believe what he says. Even though they saw him do something amazing, godlike, do they just need a little more evidence to get over the hump? You could say, well, I healed an official son in this city, Capernaum. You guys know that in Jerusalem, I healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. You can just walk down the road to the other town where I turned water into wine. Is this an evidence problem? Does your flesh just need a little more help? If I give you a little more proof, then your flesh will be able to believe in me. If I just go up into the sky, would that be enough? No. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. These people's problem is not that they need more evidence. That's what Jesus is pointing out to them. Because we can think, sure, their flesh is weak. Our our, our flesh is very weak. If we had a little more proof, we'd get it eventually. We all feel that way too, don't we, sometimes? God, if you just gave me a little more proof... If you just gave my cousin a little more proof, they'd believe. No. These people's problem is that their souls are dead, and they will not believe in Jesus no matter what evidence they see. They need the Spirit of God to make them live. Jesus is like a good doctor. If you go to a, a doctor with a headache and they're a good doctor, they're not just going to look at your head, are they? They're going to ask you lots of other questions about the rest of your body and your lifestyle. These people think they have a headache, an evidence problem. But Jesus, like a good doctor, is pointing out it's actually from somewhere else. This is a heart problem, not a head problem. These people are offended, not because they don't have evidence. They have plenty of evidence. They're offended because they don't like what he's saying, and they will not, no matter what miraculous things they see, until the Spirit of God changes them. The deepest reason that people don't trust God, you need to know this for yourself and for others, the deepest reason that people don't trust God is not because we need more proof, but because we don't want him. We want to live for ourselves. We want the things of this world. We want to be independent. We want to be what we want to be. That's the root. That's the heart problem. It's not just a headache. This is why signs and wonders aren't enough. Now, we should note the apostles did amazing signs and wonders. And if you read the book of Acts, the church prays that they would do signs and wonders to go hand in hand with the word that was being preached. But signs and wonders aren't enough. Because you can flash amazing things in front of corpses, and they're not going to see it, no matter how amazing it is. Satan is going to do many signs and wonders, especially as the age draws near its close. It doesn't mean it's true. We will not want him. That's how desperate our problem is. We will not, unless the Spirit gives us life. Let's just put our hands around our problem, okay? It's not just that we are sinners, We are. You and I have done terrible things, and the terrible things we've done are not just that we murder people. We've stolen from children. That's not the terrible stuff we've done. It's that we've sinned against an infinitely worthy holy God, and we need somebody to pay that, and we can't. So Jesus becomes one of us, a man, to live a perfect life and be crucified for our sins. He's substituted for us. You get that? That's a serious problem we need fixed, and he does it. Praise the Lord. It's given to you as a gift if you believe. But you won't believe unless the Spirit of God gives you life. Our only hope is is that God steps in. That's Jesus' whole aim in this passage. That you would know that your only hope in overcoming your hard-hearted resistance to him is that the Holy Spirit would give you life through the words of Jesus because the Father has granted it. So let's see that in this passage. We're going to go by those one at a time, by the way. The Spirit, through the words of Jesus. You need, you need both of those things. Because the Father's granted it. We're going to see that next. So let's talk about the Spirit. Jesus tells us it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So when Jesus says flesh, he's not talking about your skin and your muscle. That's not what he means by flesh. He means the powers of this world So your own power or any other power in this world cannot give life to your unbelieving soul. That's what Jesus is saying. So follow his thinking. He's telling them what they need in order to believe. That's the problem here. It's not more evidence. That's not what they need. They need their dead souls to be brought to life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Do you see that from the text? You see, that's what Jesus is saying. Do you see how needy we are? Do you see how precious the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is not irrelevant to your life. You would have no life without the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Those words should hang over the doorway of every church building. They should hang over the entryway of every Bible study and small group. And they should hang over every conversation you have with any unbeliever. Because if you're having coffee with an unbeliever and they believe, it's not finally because you served up the perfect plate of evidence. That's not finally why they're going to trust in Jesus. If any life happens in this room, it's not because of my powers of persuasion. Too much persuasion. No. That's not why life happens. If any life, real spiritual good happens in our Bible studies, it's not because the hosts serve just the right snacks or burn just the right scented candle. It's because the Spirit of God stepped in. Our labors, our doing, God uses them. But our efforts are like placing wood on the altar. So you you can put wood on an altar, but you can't light the fire. God has to do that. The Holy Spirit brings the fire. (laughs) You and I can't. We can only rearrange the wood around the altar. It matters that preachers prepare. It matters in small groups that small group leaders know how to lead a discussion. It does. It matters that you bring evidence and Bible to your unbelieving friend. But it's all wood that we're arranging on the altar. We cannot make the fire fall. Only the Spirit of God brings the fire. I hope you get that. I can't convert you. I can't. You can't convert your kids. Parents, isn't this frustrating? Doesn't it drive you to your knees? You can't reach inside there. They're right there. You just want to get inside and move something around, and you can't. But I hope you know that He can, (laughs) and He does. Every day, the Spirit of God is doing this. He can and he does. I hope that makes you dependent. I hope that makes you depend on the Holy Spirit to do the work that you can't do because he can and he's willing and he does. Now let's look at what Jesus says next about his words. Verse 63. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that i have spoken to you are spirit and life do you notice some connections there notice the connection between the holy spirit's work and the words of jesus it's the spirit who gives life and jesus says the words i have spoken to you are spirit and life so i think what jesus is telling us is you need the spirit to give life To your soul. And what the Spirit uses to give life to your soul are my words. There's a tendency among some Christians to separate the Holy Spirit and truth. So you're either a Holy Spirit church or you're a truth church. You either rely on the Spirit, we're people who rely on the Spirit or we rely on the truth, like those crazy Holy Spirit people. Not here. Not here. Do you want the Spirit to work in your life? I do. I hope you do. Do you want the Spirit to work in your life? It happens as you cling to this Word. That's how it happens. Do you want God to work in the life of an unbeliever? Put the words of Jesus in front of them. We said a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, when Jesus is talking about how the Father has to teach people in order for them to come to Jesus. And we said, Jesus clarifies very quickly. I don't mean that you're going to go in your room and the Father's going to whisper in your ear, trust in Jesus. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how it works. The Father will draw you as you listen to me. I think he's saying the same thing here as it relates to the Spirit. The Spirit's not going to whisper in your ear while you're in your closet telling you that you need to believe Jesus. Jesus is saying the Spirit's going to do work in your life through my words. Do you see that? If you want the Spirit to give you life for the first time, or for the 10,000th time. Some of us have deadness in our lives, don't we? I do. Places in my soul where I need the life of God. Do you know how it's going to come? It's not going to happen through the flesh. It will happen as you read this word and trust what Jesus says. If you want to be a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, I hope you all do, Soak this book up and believe it. That's how you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Treasure this word. It's how the Spirit gives life. Now let's talk about the Father's role. Jesus adds this, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You might notice a problem here. The Spirit gives life, and he uses Jesus' words to give life. But Jesus has been talking to this crowd of people And they don't believe. We asked this question two weeks ago. Does that mean his ministry is a failure? No. Because verse 64 tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe. He knew who would betray him. He's not surprised when the crowds disperse, when people leave, because from the beginning, he knew who would leave. I mean, if you look down at at verses 70 and 71, Jesus says this, did I not choose you, the 12? Because we're going to see by the end of this passage, everybody else leaves. And the 12 disciples might be feeling like, not us. We stuck it out, us special 12. And Jesus is saying, and I remember, I chose you. And then he says in verse 71, yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Jesus knew it from the beginning. He's not anxious about the success of his ministry because he knows that his father has given, granted, do you see that word in verse 65? For people to come to him. And if the father doesn't grant it, you won't come. But if he has, you will come. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, do a little refresher from two weeks ago. Just skip your eyes up to verse 37. All that the Father gives, all meaning everyone that the Father gives will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So follow the logic. Everyone the Father gives will come. And those who come, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Every person the father gives to me will come to me. And the father has given me a job to make sure that of everyone he has given to me, not one of them is lost, but is saved. He is not anxious about the success of his ministry because he knows all those the Father has given will come to him. That doesn't mean he stops preaching, does it? You might think Jesus knows everyone the Father's given is going to come and he's going to make sure they get saved. Well, then why doesn't he just sit back, cross his arms, and wait for people to come? Because he knows it's through his preaching that those the Father has given to him will be given life by the Spirit. That's Jesus' confidence in ministry. This is the most secure human being that ever walked the earth. Can you imagine thousands walking away while you preach? We don't start our own salvation. We can't. Not because we're in a prison and we want to get out. Right? Here are the bars want to get out and embrace God, but I can't. That's not our prison. Our prison is that we don't want God. We don't want him. We're out in the open. He's pleading, come see the life I'll give you. And we're saying, no, we don't want you. We want us. And unless he chases us down and turns us around, we won't come. Do you see what Jesus is saying? overcoming unbelief is the work of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You just take a second to see what Jesus is doing, how radical this is, because you, you do have to ask, Jesus, you're watching people leave. You've got their attention. Change the subject, man. Why? Why do you keep talking about the Father giving and they don't have life unless the Spirit does something? Stop! Stop! It's because Jesus wants the Holy Spirit to get his due. He wants the Spirit to get the credit he deserves. He wants his Father to receive the worship and honor that is due to him. Jesus wants his his Spirit and his Father to be praised. And here's the thing, that is not an obstacle to your happiness. It's the pathway to your happiness. When you give, the Father is due, and the Spirit is due, and you can confess, you have nothing except what you've given to me. That's where real life is found. The crowd's heard enough. They don't want to hear that the Father has to grant them coming to Jesus. They don't want to hear that the Spirit must give them life. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Just another time out. This is a tragedy. To look the bread of life in the eyes and walk away. To look in the face of the one, the only one who can satisfy your soul forever and say, No, thank you. And so Jesus turns to the 12 and says, Do you want to go away as well? How about you guys? Take this question personally. You listened to the sermon he preached. Do you want to go away as well? This is what you've got to grapple with. Will you accept a God who has to do everything for you? Are you too proud to confess that you need him, not just to pay for your sins, but to even bring you there? In Peter, we get a picture of what real belief looks like, and this is how we'll close. Verse 68, Peter, as always, answers the question. Lord, to whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. This is what a real saving response to Jesus looks like. That's like the least proud response you can give, right? And a lot of people come to Jesus like, Jesus should be proud to have me on his team. This church should be thankful that I'm here. I used to feel that way. I'm bringing something to Christianity. the faster you follow Peter and lose hope that anywhere else can give you life, the faster you will find real satisfaction and life in Jesus. Don't begrudge the fact that you are far needier than you know. And at the end of your life, let's say you live for 80 more years learning how needy you are you still won't be close to knowing how needy you are. Don't begrudge him telling you that. Don't begrudge the fact that God Almighty loves you so much that he pulls you out of your unbelief and he sends the Spirit to give you life where there was only deadness. Peter sees it. There's no salvation or lasting happiness anywhere else. We could try going somewhere else, Jesus, but what? You're the only place in this universe where life can be found. You hear that? He is the only place happiness and life can be found. Notice he says you have the words of eternal life. Luke pointed this out yesterday. The crowds have been clamoring for bread and they want nothing to do with what he says. Peter says, no, no. What you reveal to us about God and our need, that's what we need. That's, that's what I need. It's recognizing without him, you have nothing. But with him, you have everything. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Without him, I have nothing. With him, I have everything. That's what the Father gives us. It's what the Spirit opens our eyes to see. So don't stifle your worship by minimizing your need. Every time you, you've got a big need, and every time you try to make it a little bit smaller, you're minimizing your worship. Confess it. You need God desperately. And if you know it, it will make your worship desperately sweet. That's the promise. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you preached like no man who ever lived. Secure in the sovereign hand of your Father and the work of the Spirit, and yet preaching truth, serving, loving those who came to you. Oh, I pray that you would Make us those who have humble hearts before you, who embrace your words and all that you reveal to us. Grow our worship as you shrink our view of ourselves, we ask in your precious name. Amen.